we're starting a new series. And as we start this new series, I thought, you know, uh, who's a Harry Potter fan? Okay, me too. Yeah, that's just one example. But I thought about in, in the Harry Potter series, really something that's essential to make that a great series that's so captivating is because Harry is caught up in a story that is much bigger than himself. I mean, think about how, how much, um, just how, how less, how just whelming it would be instead of overwhelming um, if, if the story was just about Harry's own life and his time at Hogwarts or his time with his family that's terrible or whatever. But the fact that the, the story is really Harry is being caught up into this story that has long been going on before he was even born about this great force of evil and the forces of good and their interplay. And then he is now being called into this story, whether he wants to be or not, because his life is, is caught up in Voldemort and his return to power. And, and Harry has a, an integral part to play in stopping him from that return to power. So, you know, that is, that is what connects with us is that there is a, a desire in us to be called up into a bigger story. Um, we are not here and, and, and we feel the fruit of this all the time. We are not here on this earth. We're not living these lives to just satisfy ourselves, to live within this little bubble that is my own universe. I try a lot. And when I do, when I'm trying to surround myself with safety and comfort and convenience, um, that's, you know, if you stop and think about it, like everything that I'm doing that is not about something bigger than me is really that, is how safe and comfortable and convenient can life be for me? And it doesn't take long uh, to live that direction before you realize, uh, yeah, this is boring. Um, this is not what I was made for. This is very unsatisfying. Um, but because there's something broke in us, we, we keep finding new ways and think, well, maybe this way, um, if I pursue convenience and comfort and safety this way. But um, what the Lord has for us is to say, you were not made for that. You were made to be caught up in a story bigger than yourself. You were made to play a very, uh, maybe small part in this huge story. And that's where you're gonna find life. That's where I'm gonna find life and satisfaction. And so this series, uh, which I forget what we're calling it. Do we have the, the graphic? Pardon? Come let us rebuild, thank you. Okay, this is the story of Nehemiah. That's bad. Um, <laughs> This is the story of Nehemiah. And uh, in a little bit, I'm gonna put this story in the greater context of, of God's story throughout scripture. But it's this idea, I mean, we're, we're watching, we will be watching over the course of the semester, this man who is caught up into this story that's been going on ages before he was ever born. And he is gonna play an integral part in the continual, continual unfolding of this story, uh, which is God's mission in the world. And so, you know, as, as we read this, as we study this together, um, the Lord is speaking to us. This was written to us. This was written for our edification and growth and maturity as God is saying, hey, I want this story written down forever because I want you to see yourself in this story. I want you to see that you are being called up by me into a story that is greater than yourself. I'm gonna give you a vision and, and different visions for your life that are much bigger than you. 
that are going to uh, require you to put your shoulder to something, to put your weight into something and to work. And it's going to be hard. And I'm going to call you to push through that. I'm going to give you the clarity of a call and the conviction of a call to push through that and invite other people into that. And I'm going to help you see what do you do when you meet opposition? What do you do when you meet internal opposition? What do you do when you meet external opposition? But it's all of this around how do we, how do we find and then walk in this, this vision that is a God-given vision that is greater than ourselves. And so the question for us at the very outset this morning is this, how do we get caught up in a vision for something bigger than ourselves? That's the question that we're, we're answering today as we look through this passage. How do we get caught up in a vision for something bigger than ourselves? How does God do that? And so first, um, if you wanna strap on your seatbelts, we're gonna go on a little theological um, contextual history. Um, so hold on there. We're not going to stay here for long, but um, y'all, this was hard to try to come up with, like condense this history to get to Nehemiah. So um, I actually did a really good job. You're going to love it. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to start with um, God rescues his people from Egypt. God's, God's people were taken into slavery in Egypt. Um, they were under the hard hand of Pharaoh and then God said, hey, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to keep the, the promises, the covenant promises that I made to your ancestor Abraham. And I'm going to bring you into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so as we go, we're going to start here, though. Um, I'm going to give you this law. I'm going to give you how to live in this land. And, and basically what he's giving them is just follow me. God is so full of grace. Even back then, he's so full of grace. He's not demanding perfection. He is just asking, will, will you let me be your God? Will you try to follow me? And when you fail, will you do the things I tell you to do when you fail and know that I love you? Like my love for you is not gonna change if you will just follow me and love me and you will be my people and I will be your God. And he says this in Deuteronomy 30, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. See, I have set before you today life and good death and evil. And he says, you, you have to choose. I can't choose for you. You have to choose between life and good, death and evil. And so what we see across centuries after that, um, God's continual steadfast love and mercy and long, long, long suffering as his people continually choose death and evil. And God continues to make a way to bring them back, continues, continues, and then finally uh, they have chosen this direction stubbornly for a very long time. And God says, okay, I got to let you go. And this is from 2 Kings 2017. God is talking to the king at that time and says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And so that's, that's what happens. There's the siege of Jerusalem the city is razed to the ground. People are slaughtered. The rest of the people are taken into captivity to Babylon, the world's superpower at that time. And God's word is fulfilled. But even there, there's hope. Um, through God's prophets, multiple prophets, he spoke and says, I'm actually going to do a new work and bring you back. And so this is from Jeremiah 29. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And so that's exactly what happened. 70 years later from the fall of Jerusalem, 
they were now, uh, Persia had taken over for Babylon. Persia was now the world's superpower and they had a very different approach to how they dealt with conquered peoples. And so it says this in Ezra chapter one, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, what you just heard, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom to let the Jewish people go back and rebuild Jerusalem. God's word was fulfilled. He did exactly what he said he was gonna do. He had great mercy on his people. And, uh, and so now the stage is set for uh, us to see the grand story working out in this little corner in Nehemiah's life. So JD, if you wanna come up and read our passage for us. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of um, that person, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I had heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, JD. Okay, so... Um, you guys, if you're paying attention, you might be thinking, wait, you just told me Cyrus let him go back and rebuild and everything's great. Well, that's true, but then in the intervening years, um, they faced a lot of opposition. And so uh, this is from Ezra chapter four. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah who had returned and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then what eventually happened was the governors of that land um, decided to uh, try to get the king's backing and the king's authority. So they wrote him a letter and told him all these reasons why he shouldn't let them rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And then it says, um, and then when they succeeded and they got a letter back from the king, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem stopped. And so this is where we pick up with our story. Um, Nehemiah, when he hears, Nehemiah was born about a century um, later than when all this stuff happened at the siege of Jerusalem. So what he is mourning, what, is, what he's getting news of is not that original wrecking of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. What he's getting news of that is very upsetting to him is that after Cyrus made this decree, after God's word was fulfilled, after the 70 years we returned, we're gonna rebuild, everything's gonna be great. That's not what's happening. That's not what I'm seeing happen in the world. That's not what I'm hearing reports from Jerusalem about. What I'm hearing is that that plan actually got blown up. And now they, they had completed the temple. They'd even completed the wall around the city and that wall got destroyed again. And, and the gates were set on fire and everything was ruined. And so here's where it might be easy to see ourselves in Nehemiah's shoes and in this story is um, 
there are a lot of times in life where I look at what's happening around me. We prayed about some of those things just a second ago. And it's really hard for me to believe some of the promises that I hear God say in scripture and to believe that those promises are gonna be kept. And then there's a lot, of, a lot of times where I place my hope and oh, this is the fulfillment of that promise in this person's life or, or in this community or with these people or the answer to the prayers that we've been praying. And then something turns and then we're just at this crucial moment of what do we do now? Do we despair? Do we believe that God is a liar? Do we believe that he's not powerful enough to keep his word to us? Where, where do we go with this? And so that's what we're seeing happen to this man. He is, this was news to him that he was very shocked by and was not ready to hear. And it greatly affected him. And so, um, so he's left to deal with this news. And so the first thing I wanna say is, you know, how do we get a vision? Um, a lot of times visions from the Lord and callings from him come with a conversation that we can't shake. And, and a lot of you know already what I'm talking about because you've experienced this in your life. And it can be something catastrophic and, and um, you know, huge level like this, or it can be at a micro level. But um, we, we get these visions. This all starts when we are in a conversation that we can't shake. Um, we have a conversation, we learn news, we hear of news of someone or some group of people and we can't stop thinking about it. It comes to us when we're asleep, it comes to us when we're not thinking about anything else, our mind keeps drifting back to this conversation. Um, you know, think about just people from history. I mean, that's how William Wilberforce, who worked against the British slave trade, he, he learned about the evils of slavery and he was like, I, I can't think about anything else. Like this is my purpose now. Um, I, I think about Jonathan Nash um, from Midtown. You know, Lord willing, later this semester, after years and years of work in the Napier community, there's gonna be a Napier church, a, a Midtown congregation in that neighborhood. Um, but that's, what it, that's his story. Uh, and Susie, his wife, that's their story is, um, I can't shake what I see here and the need that I see here, and it wouldn't go away. Um, that's, that's my story. That's Lee and my story for being here and planning Midtown West is um, it was greatly impacted by a church in another city. And I'd never experienced a church like that. And I'd never seen the, the fruit of a church like that on the lives of the people that in that way. And, and I was like, this, there should be a church like this everywhere. And, and that is the call that God's put on our lives is to plan a church like that somewhere that doesn't have a church like this. And then I, I hear about Midtown is actually a church uniquely like the church that greatly impacted me. And I heard that they are desperately looking for a church planner to plant in a new part of Nashville. And that's how we got here. But it doesn't have to be these, these grand things. It, it, it certainly will be. I mean, those, those big moments are gonna come in our lives, but um, it can also be in these micro ways. Um, a lot of times God calls me at least, I don't know if this happens to you, to into specific people's lives because they annoy me. And I'm sure I've been on the receiving end of that too. But what, if you stop and think about it, what really annoys me about a person is their brokenness, their hurt. And usually it's they're lonely and they don't really know how to connect because they've never experienced it and people haven't loved them. They haven't been a, a recipient of the love of God through a community of people. And so it makes them act weird. And a lot of times God will use that as like a little tap on the shoulder of like, hey, I'm inviting you into this person's life. So 
when you hear me say that, don't worry that if I've like shown up in your life, it doesn't mean that you're annoying me. Um, but that's just the way that he works sometimes. And God has all these ways, but it, it all comes back to um, this news or this interaction or something that I, I cannot shake. And so now, um, what do we do when we've had that kind of conversation? What does Nehemiah do when he is the recipient of this news from Jerusalem? And we look at verse 4, and this is where we're going to hang out. Um, we make space to be disturbed and engage with the God of heaven. That's what we do next. We take that conversation, we take that information, we take that relationship, we take that need, that problem, and we go to the God of heaven. And the first thing that we have to do, as you see here, it talks about him sitting down for days and weeping and mourning. We engage with this news. We, in, we actually stop and take the time to let it breathe. We take the time to stop and, and be quiet and reflect and meet with the Lord. Um, we give ourselves space to feel and be affected. And you know, for a lot of us, um, we don't do that. We've, we have trained ourselves, the world has trained us to be moving too fast for this to happen. We just move on to the next thing. It's a lot easier, it's a lot less threatening, it's a lot less scary to just be distracted by constant busyness. Things just flow in one ear and out the other and they never affect me. I just keep on moving, my soul is numb. I'm moving on to the next thing, my life is just one huge to-do list. So why do, we, why do we live like this? <clears throat> we live like this because of what we're, we're afraid to find if we slow down. What we're afraid to find in the world, that there's a lot of really hard, really wicked, really terrible, like heartbreaking realities in this world. And I'm afraid that if I really stop and let myself feel those things, it will crush me. We're afraid of what we're gonna find in ourselves. We're afraid of pain, we're afraid of weakness, I'm afraid of seeing my own brokenness. You know, when I have a difficult situation with somebody else, it's a lot easier to keep moving quickly and think that the problem is all on their half of the court. But when I really stop and reflect, I'm forced to deal with my part of the issue, of the relational dysfunction. And I, it's not really fun to do that. It's not really fun to stop and really live into the weight of my own brokenness and live into the weight of mourning what sin has done and is doing. And last, maybe most of all, I'm afraid of what I'm gonna find with God. I'm afraid of, of maybe finding out that he's not as powerful as I thought he was or he's not as good as I thought he was or he's not as loving as I thought he was. But we have to know that our anger, our fear, our, our sadness, these emotions are not problems. These emotions are not speed bumps to, to hurry over as quickly as possible and get back to, to life. These are gifts. John 16, 20, Jesus tells his disciples as he's about to go to the cross, you will weep now, but one day your weeping will turn to joy. And you know what, if I'm not ever weeping, I don't have anything to turn to joy. <laughs> because Jesus is saying, you should be weeping now. There's a lot of weep-worthy stuff going on in the world and in your own life. Like, you should weep. 
but, but don't worry. Your weeping will turn to joy. When, you, when your heart is aligned with mine, this will cause you to weep and what I'm doing and about to do will cause you to rejoice. So we don't have to be afraid of those feelings. And we do what he does next. As we, as we feel the weight of this, it's not just in our own heads. It's not in this little closed loop. It's I'm, I'm feeling the weight of this in the presence of the God of heaven. I'm feeling the weight of all these feelings and all this news and all that's happening and I'm dialoguing with him. I am sharing those thoughts and feelings with him. I'm sharing those frustrations with him. You know, it's okay to be angry at God. It's okay to tell him you were angry. It's okay to tell him you were sad. You're not gonna break him. He's not gonna stop loving you. And to just sit in his presence and give him the space to speak back to us and to inform us in those thoughts and feelings. And so as we do that, as we share our thoughts and feelings with him and he shares his thoughts and feelings with us through his word, just through time and prayer, through his people, we are being shaped by this process. We're being transformed. We're being matured through this process. We become deep people. We're being taught through this process. We're being sifted. Our emotions are being sifted. We're being strengthened. We're being loved by our heavenly father and as pertinent to Nehemiah's life and to our lives here in this passage, our calls are being clarified by this process. There's so much going on. I, we can't, we are limited. We can't jump into everything that we see, every need that we see. So some needs are gonna go in one ear and out the other and some are gonna stick. And that's how we know through this process, what is the Lord calling me to engage my limited heart space and headspace and resources? Where is he calling me to engage? But to turn this around, just to see why this is so important, um, we gotta ask this question, what happens when I don't weep and mourn? What happens when I do something else instead? Well, for one, I add to the pain. When I refuse to weep and mourn, my sadness and my mourning comes out as anger and aggression and all sorts of other ways that we don't have time to get into today. But I add to the pain because I'm refusing to deal with my own emotions. I lose touch with my limits it's a gift to have limits, y'all, because if, if I don't really believe that I have limits, then I'm gonna feel a lot of pride and a lot of shame that's gonna get me all sideways uh, in terms of how I'm supposed to relate in this world. But maybe more importantly than this, I miss what God's doing. I miss what God's doing in the world, but I also miss what he's doing in my life. What are you wanting to do? You got my attention with this conversation. You've, you've, these feelings are telling me like, how, what's inside me and what, what I'm reacting to. Like, what are you wanting to do with those feelings? What are you wanting to do with this information in me? You're wanting to do something in me. And I miss worship. I miss opportunities to worship and love God more and desire Jesus to come back. Because guess what? This world is broken. It is not gonna always be this way. I don't want it to always be this way. I don't wanna stay here like this forever. And when I will engage and weep and mourn and be angry, it helps me worship and say, you know what? You're actually what I want. And I really want you to come back and make everything right as you promised that you're gonna do. And so what happens when I won't pray or fast? What happens when I take those emotions and do something else with them? Um, 
Well, really at the end of the day, you have two options. If, if I don't take those to the Lord and engage with him, I'm either gonna become a super villain or a dead fish. What do I mean by that? That's not clear? Okay. Uh, dead fish is just despair. There's no hope. I'm just numb. Everything's numb. Why try? Why care? Why think about anything? I'm just going through life as like a zombie, a zombie of despair. But you think about supervillains and every, everyone I can think of right now, every supervillain origin story is they were somebody who had this great crusader mentality. Something bad happened to them and they figured out that they were going to stop it. And then their naivete runs into a wall. They're not able to stop it. And so then they just, they turn callous and hard. And now they're part of the problem. So it's like this vigilanteism of like, well, okay, if God's not gonna do anything about it, then I will. And I'm gonna go tell that person this. And I'm gonna go live this way. And I'm gonna go get mine because he's not given what I want to me. I'm gonna go get it for myself. And I don't care who gets in my way and who gets hurt. I mean, really, and, and both of these are pretty easy to camouflage, but, but really at the end of the day, if, if I'm not engaging with the Lord with my emotions, one of those two things, I'm moving in one of those directions. And so we are called to a third way. We are called to follow Nehemiah as he follows Jesus, who is the greater and more perfect Nehemiah. Um, Jesus, our savior, the only perfect, fully mature human who ever lived, wept and mourned the condition of the world. Luke 19, 41 says, when Jesus drew near and saw the city of God, he wept over it. He was broken. The savior was broken by the state of things, the state of lives, the state of the way that the world was working um, when he saw and knows what should have been. So like Nehemiah, he mourned the state of God's city and God's people. And Jesus, of course, lived in an intimate fellowship with his heavenly father. His whole life was marked by this rhythm of prayer and fasting. He was always taking this brokenness and this weeping to his father to be shaped by that relationship, to get this vision clarified, to, to have this conviction, um, to lay himself down and see that vision fulfilled. And, and what is that vision? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Jesus had such a clear calling and such a love for God and for his people that he said, this is worth it. I'm gonna empty myself. I have a conviction. I'm not getting caught up in other things. This is why I'm here and I'm gonna see this thing through to the end. And it says, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The vision that Jesus gave himself to, the vision of all of human history was for you and I to have life. Um, he laid himself down uh, out of love for his father and love for his people to make a way for us to live. And so now we find ourselves on the other side of the cross as the people of God, as uh, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't now live in a temple. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the temple. And so now we have a new life. We have a new power and God invites us. Jesus invites us. It's, it's amazing. Second Corinthians, Paul makes it really clear. We are invited 
by Jesus to work alongside Jesus in his grand work in human history. And he is calling each of us to a piece of that. We are like little pieces of a puzzle. And when you put us all together, that is what he's doing is the redemption throughout human history accomplished in Christ. And so that's why we're excited to be here. That's why we're excited to be at Aiken. We're excited to be here um, not to have our own place, um, not to be able to meet at 10 a.m. Some of y'all don't even like 10 a.m. Some of y'all wish we were back at 4.30. But uh, there's a yes. Uh, <laughs> well, we're not, okay? We're at 10 a.m. Um, but no, I mean, we each have an individual calling and we each have an individual church calling. Um, the big story, the calling for all of us is the Great Commission, is to make Christ known, is to bring glory to God as we make disciples of all nations. But we are not globally called to do everything all at one time. Um, we are called to a specific piece in this calling, a specific place in time and history, and a specific way to accomplish that calling. So here, Midtown West, we are called to this area of West Nashville. Um, and our vision is, our, our vision, uh, the great commission to us is we are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, to set others free, and to enjoy that freedom together. That is what we are doing here in our, our little part of the story. And then that's not all happening here on Sundays, and that's not all happening through official church things. That is happening through your lives every day, in your places of work, in your streets, in your neighborhoods, in your families, in your friendships. That's where this is happening. This plays one specific role in that whole process. Um, this is where we are equipped, we worship, we celebrate, we bring others to hear the good news of Christ, but we go out into the world and that is where God is working. So he is calling every single one of us to specific visions like he did Nehemiah, like he, he does with, with this body, like he will do with each of us. And so that's why like, I, don't, I don't want this room to get as big as possible. I don't want as many people as possible to come and be a part of this. I want the people who God is calling, who he's put a conviction in their hearts to be a part of this, that we are gonna put our shoulders to the work of this, his mission in this little corner of his world. That's who I want to be here. And so this morning, if you find yourself um, thinking, when you think about church, if you think more in terms of they than we, if you think more in terms of observer than coworker, then that's a sign that you don't yet have a conviction or calling to be here that may develop. And so just keep praying and ask the Lord, will you show me where you want me to plug in? Because he wants you to plug in somewhere. He is calling you somewhere. Or it may mean that this is not the place and that's okay because there is a place. Um, but I really hope it's here because I really wanna work alongside you for years to come to see what he is gonna do with this calling that he has on this individual group of people to see him glorified and to see people um, brought to life and to enjoy that freedom together. And there's only one way to find out whether that's your calling and that's to take your real heart in real time to the real Jesus and let him sift that with you. Father, I am um, so thankful for this day, this community, for your word, for um, the way that you work in Nehemiah's life, the way that you work Jesus um, Lord, in the way that you're calling us, inviting us to work alongside you, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here and for those who don't know you, that you would create space 
in all of our lives, just stop and, and let the river water uh, be sifted and all the sediment to, to flow down to the bottom so that we could see clearly who you are, what you're calling us to, uh, what you're inviting us to, how, how you're working in our lives, that we might have a clear conviction of how to follow you in love, to lay our lives down for you and for the people of this city. And we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.